We are called to live faithfully for Jesus 168 hours a week. Welcome to the Faith 168 Podcast with Brandon and Chris. We began our exposition of this book two Sundays ago. I uh, didn't get too far, I made it down to verse 3 where we got introduced to a prophet who is like no other prophet in the Old Testament. He was a reluctant prophet, didn't want to fulfill his God-given role to preach to the Ninevites. And he decides in verses 1 to 3 to take a flight, to escape from God's presence and God's call on his life on a boat. And here as we pick up in the next portion of this story in verses 4 to 16, we will see just how well that turned out. We're going to look at this passage of Scripture under this title and subject, Saved by Storm. Saved by Storm. And let's see where that idea is found, first of all, by reading this text, beginning in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, and perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, Then the sea will quieten down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah 
and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. One could truly say that the pilgrims on the Mayflower were blessedly blown off course as they sailed over here from Europe in search of newfound land. Originally, as you may know, they were headed for modern-day New York, as many history books will tell you. They had heard it was an ideal place to begin a settlement, and they would join a London stock company when they arrived there, a group of settlers who were already there that would hop on board with them and help them out. But unbeknownst to them, um, in retrospect, this would have caused quite a bit of trouble, not only for the pilgrims, but for the founding of our country. In fact, if they had went to their original destination as they planned, we probably wouldn't be here today. That's how much was really at stake. Obviously, the history buff in me wants to go in great detail with you this morning about all that, but I'll simply recommend another book to you called The American Miracle, which delves into all of this. So they were headed for New York, but they didn't end up getting there because a great storm at sea blew them in a radically different direction. As we know, they actually landed at Cape Cod where they could be independent, eventually planting the seed uh, for the tree of our great nation. In other words, they were headed the wrong way and didn't even know it. And a storm saved their lives. They were headed for danger and demise. And a dangerous tempest redirected their course and put them on the right track. And dear beloved, we may be certain this morning that the Lord God of heaven above does this with heaven's pilgrims when they go astray. When we run from the Lord God and His calling upon our lives, all upon the ships of apathy, busyness, or excuse, we can be sure that the Lord is sending a storm our way to redirect our course. You see, there's times when God, by His providence, pushes us aside and takes control of where things are headed. We think we're going in the right direction by evading His calling and His work. But He pushes us aside and takes hold of the captain's helm by His sovereignty and takes us on a different course. There are times when God sees the direction we're heading and knows we're headed for demise, and He pushes us over to the passenger seat so that He can take the wheel. There are times when the wind of His providence blows our sail in a completely opposite direction. And as we see from the life of Jonah here, the Lord God always does this for our own good. And so we're going to see just how well it all works out if we decide to run from God and His call on our lives by looking at this negative example we have here from Jonah. God literally saved his life and redirected his course through a dangerous storm. 
So let's get right into it. The first thing we want to see this morning is from verses 4 through 6, namely, God unleashes storms. Unwilling to let Jonah escape his divine assignment, the Lord sends a violent sea storm to arrest his attention. The creator of the sea turned the water that Jonah fled upon into an impediment to stop him in his tracks. See, the storm was God's wake-up call. A splash of cold water in the face of a prophet who had been sleeping in apathy. It was an expression of God's severe mercy, we might call it. His terrible kindness. A harsh rod of His loving discipline intended to bring Jonah to repentance. And it happened like this according to verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The mighty hand of God, which no man can fetter, balled up the wind of the heavens and hurled it in Jonah's direction. The Lord bowed from the heavens above with His cheek low to the earth and blew the wind of His providence to shake Jonah from his spiritual uh, and sinful slumber. And we see here that this heaven-sent gust immediately turned the sea from a navigational friend to a bloodthirsty enemy. You can kind of imagine the scene. The salty, crashing sea waves singeing the tired eyes of the sailors. The wind whistling about the vessel, singing as it were a song of death. Thunder from above reverberating through the wooden ship. And we can even feel the fear that might have seized this ship from bow to stern as it threatened to break apart. And you know, dear beloved, all the while, God is trying to get Jonah's attention and He's trying to speak to him through this storm, basically saying, Jonah, can you hear me now? Do I have your attention yet? Evidently not. But apparently the Lord had captured the attention of some on the boat. But we see here it wasn't Jonah. Notice what the author says in verse 5. It says, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. The sailors had awakened for sure. They become crippled by fear, so much so that they resorted to every measure possible to save their lives. We see here that they prayed to any God that would listen to them, any God that might grant them favor. And they even attempted to lessen the load on the ship by tossing out potentially life-saving cargo. And by the way, this is a really stunning image because this typhoon 
like storm must have been the worst they'd ever seen. She may know sailors are not the fearful type. Um, sailors weren't uh, panty waist with poodle haircuts. They were tough. They were like Popeye the sailor man. Tenacious, tireless, strong and tough. But they were no match. No match for the captain of the seas, the creator of the universe. And his storm of terror was enough to drown their hearts in unrelenting fear. But somehow, some way, the storm was not enough to instill holy fear in the one man that God was ultimately chasing after, the problematic prophet from Israel. Surprisingly, amid this frantic chaos of a once-in-a-lifetime squall, Jonah was getting the best sleep he'd ever gotten. It says in the latter part of verse 5 to verse 6, But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Awaken, arise, call out to your God, and perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Well, it's really not difficult to stand in the captain's wet boots here, is it? We're asking the same thing. What's wrong with you, Jonah? How can you snooze in hypnosis when the world is crashing down around you? How can you ignore God's virtual stop signs all around you? Really sleeping during such turmoil defies all logic and rationality unless, unless sin has lulled your conscience to sleep. That's what's going on with Jonah. He's become so callous, so rebellious, that sin has rocked his conscience to sleep. That's what sin does. Sin gives the guilty mind a fluffy bed to sleep on. It rocks the conscience to sleep so that you lose all sense of spiritual danger and all sense of obligation to obey God. Sin places the pillow of presumption beneath your head, convincing you that you need to rest from all your obedience to God. It traps you in a hypnotic slumber so that you cannot hear the alarm of God's wake-up calls to repentance. Sin causes you to hit the snooze button when you hear God's warnings and when you feel God's persistent pull upon your heartstrings to do His work in the world. It will even cause you to snore when all hell breaks loose around you. You know, previously we discussed how sin really makes us do stupid stuff, right? Such as retreating from an omnipresent God upon the sea that He made. That's what sin does. It imprisons reason and rationality, sending us careening off a cliff 
to our own calamity. It compels us to think and act in ways that are just unreasonably and destructively ludicrous. And Jonah snoozing here is flesh on the bone of this concept. He was benumbed to grave danger. Sin had made him numb. He was insensitive to the lives of his shipmates, callous toward his own calling, and apathetic toward his God. Dear beloved, only sin can explain actions so foolish. But that's what sin does to us. Think about it. It made Adam think that he could avoid God's scrutiny after sinning only two feet away from where he last spoke with him. Sin made Sarah assume that God would not hear her laughter while he waited outside her tent. Sin led Achan in the book of Joshua to presume that he could get away with stealing pagan gold when God promised to track down anyone who did. It made David the king think that he could fly under society's radar after committing adultery and murder. Sin compelled Ananias and Sapphira to believe that they could lie to the face of God and escape from the face of God. Sin makes us think crazy things. It makes us think that God will never catch up with us. It compels us to believe that as sinners we can just fly under His radar and scoot past His loving discipline. Sin fills our mind with the lie that maybe God will leave us alone if we just busy ourselves with enough earthly affairs. It deceives us into thinking that we can escape all of our spiritual duties on a ship of excuses. It makes us think that we can snooze in apathy while the world goes to hell in a handbasket all around us. And dear beloved, for our own good, we must today abandon our vessel of excuses and awaken from apathetic slumber. Or else, God may hurl an unwelcome storm our way to get us back on track. You see, God tried to get Jonah's attention through this deadly gale. And He may toss a gale of trouble in our direction to get ours too. We can be certain that if sin has put our conscience to sleep, God will take extreme measures to wake us up. We must not put the Lord to the test by running away from Him and His calling on our lives. In fact, he, he may make the sovereign decision to put a halt to everything in our life so that we have to confront why we're running from Him. He may stop us in our tracks with a family crisis, an unexpected diagnosis, a terrible phone call or a thorn in the flesh. Now, obviously, we know that 
the primary reason for all of those things I mentioned is we live in a sin-cursed world. It's not always God sending a storm to us to get us on the right track. But we do need to realize that if we're running from God and His call, those are not off the table. And He won't stop until we repent and return to doing His work. Over and over, these storms of life may come to us and God may be asking us all the time, are you listening? Are you listening yet? Do I have your attention? See, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line, dear beloved. God loves you way too much to leave you alone. But sometimes, sometimes His mercy is severe. Often His loving compassion hurts. And He expresses it in the form of a storm. But you may be certain that if God has sent a tempest to you to redirect your course... It is because He loves you relentlessly. He knows that the best life for you is one of delightful obedience to His commands and calling. And He can't stand for you to venture off of that path and do your own thing. You see, we may go our own way and God sees the pit of pain that we may be one foot away from stepping into. We may be going our own path and God above sees the snares of guilt that we're feet away from stepping onto. And God will throw everything He's got. Everything He's got, He'll throw it at us in order to redirect our steps to the righteous path. He may use something as great and big as a storm at sea, or He may use something as small as a little game of dice. We're going to see that secondly, uh, right quick here in verses 7 through 10. We see God unleashes storms. Secondly, God uncovers sin. What we see here very clearly is God's putting the spotlight on Jonah. He's been running too long. You know, things are coming to a head here. He put a spotlight on Jonah to expose his sin to the sailors. He yanked back the curtain, revealing a prophet fleeing from his calling on God's stage. The Lord raised the rug, if you will, to reveal a rebellious sinner hiding beneath. Specifically, what we see here is that God used a game of casting lots to uncover Jonah's sin. The author tells us in verse 7 that the mariners said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. This was a really old game. An ancient game of casting lots, and it was a method used to select someone or something at random. And all of its players believed that the dice or whatever they used to toss on the ground uh, was directed by some divine deity. They thought that God or the gods was in control. And you'll remember that in the book of Acts, even the apostles 
cast lots to determine who should replace Judas. And evidently, we see here the mariners were trying to discover the Judas among them. What was, who was at fault here? Who brought this storm about? And so they cast lots like they'd probably done thousands of times before, and it landed right in Jonah's direction. It's like God was taking His finger of providence and pointing it right at Jonah. Again, God's trying to get His attention. And so now that they know Jonah is responsible here, they want to know every detail about him. That's why they ask him all these questions in verse 8. Like, tell us about you, man. Where are you from? What's your calling? What God do you serve? Tell us everything. So they were after the truth. They wanted to get to the bottom of things. And so did the Lord. The Lord wanted to get to the bottom of things. And what's really going on through these questions is God is trying to squeeze Jonah. He's trying to squeeze him to press out of him a confession of faith and a declaration of repentance. Just tell him, Jonah. Tell him you're a prophet. Tell him how good I am. Preach the gospel to him. This is your opportunity. And instead, really all you got squeezed out is a little lemon drop of confession. So he said in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. You want to know everything about me? Fine. I'm from Israel. And I serve the God who created all things, including the ocean beneath us. Now, obviously, this truth about God's reign over creation had no effect upon Jonah. Otherwise, he wouldn't have fled from the Lord of the sea upon the sea. See, his declaration that he feared the Lord was really just a memorized theological formula that evidently had not affected his heart. See, like many of us, Jonah had a tendency to move his lips in confession of truth while his heart remained unmoved in obedience to truth. But while he was unmoved by this terrifying truth of God's lordship, we see that the sailors were moved to paralyzing terror when they understood how much trouble they were in. That's what we see in verse 10. They were exceedingly afraid, and they say, What is this you have done? Hold it, Hebrew! You mean to tell me you're fleeing the Lord of the sea on the sea He created? Where has your mind gone? And once again, the sailors, the pagan heathen sailors, are the ones on the right side of this story. Jonah had lost his mind. He'd thrown it into the sea of sin. But at this point, Jonah had nowhere left to run. God caught up with him. His sin was exposed before everyone's face so that now he would seek God's face in repentance. And dear beloved, we can be certain this morning that if exposure is what is necessary to reverse our rebellious course, 
the Lord will turn the lights on. He will bring out the truth. You can be certain that God will deploy whatever it takes, whether it's a storm at sea or personal exposure of your sin. He'll do whatever it takes to get you on the right track, to take you away from your Tarshish of rebellion to your Nineveh of mission. Do you hear me, Jonah? God yelled across the raging waves. And now as this storm of exposure surrounds him, God was saying again, Do you hear me yet? And evidently the answer is still no. And that's why we see here finally that God turned the heat up one final notch, bringing Jonah and the entire crew to the brink of death so that Jonah would finally repent and return to the Lord. We see thirdly and finally, God upsets striving. God upsets striving. Verse 11, they say, all right, give us a solution. What are we going to do? This is all your fault, Jonah. So what do you suggest we do so we can save our lives? How can we make your God happy so that He doesn't kill us? And shockingly, Jonah offers no prayer of blessing. He doesn't say, let me pray to God, let me ask Him. Let me just go to the God of grace and pray that He'll take this storm away. There's no prayer of blessing, no petition of favor, no declaration of repentance. Instead, his advice is this. Just kill me. Just kill me. Throw me overboard because I'm responsible for all this trouble. Now we must be careful not to commend Jonah here for only partially owning his sin because his counsel to be overthrown was really just another escape route from God. He's saying, I'd rather die than fulfill my divine calling. I'd rather perish than repent. I'd rather drown in the sea than cross the sea to preach to Nineveh. The sailors were not of the same mind, of course. And we see here in verses 13 and 14, they didn't want to kill this prophet, especially after being introduced to his God. Last thing they were going to do is make him even more angry. So we see they strive, they rode hard to get back to dry land. They pulled out all stops and tried to get back. But they learned that God and His hand cannot be slowed or stayed. And so they concluded the only solution was Jonah's solution. Deal with Jonah, throw him overboard, and that's what they did. Of course, they don't do so before they offer a prayer of repentance. In verse 14, they say, God, please forgive us what we're about to do. We don't want to be held responsible for this man's death. Well, isn't it ironic? The first and only party here to call out to the Lord for help and grace is not Jonah. It's pagan sailors. And I'll tell you this, this is really funny. Even more ironically, Jonah's stubborn attempt to evade his calling to preach to pagans 
resulting in their repentance and receiving God's grace, has actually just been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled with the conversion of these heathen sailors. He didn't want to preach to pagans. He ended up preaching to pagans, and they turned to the Lord. God won the day. He was glorified. But Jonah was still running. Until he could run no more after being tossed into the sea. And we won't read these verses here, but you know how it goes. They picked him up, threw him into the sea, and instant, calm and quiet. No more raging storm, no more tempest. God took his severe hand of mercy and withdrew it. All it took was Jonah being dealt with. All God wanted all along through all of this was for Jonah to own up to his transgression and return to God in repentance. And eventually Jonah does this as God miraculously saves his life by sending a great fish to swallow him up, which we'll talk about next time. But oh, what a world of trouble. What a world of trouble Jonah went through just to be brought to repentance. What a great fight and flight just for God to have the last word. What vain planning and scheming just to be thwarted by God's plan and God's sovereign scheming. The unleashed storm, the uncovering of his sin, and the upsetting of his striving would all have been averted all avoided had he responded to his calling with, Yes, Lord. He could have avoided all this trouble had he responded to his call with a heart of submission saying, Yes, Lord, I'll do what you're telling me to do. You want me to go to Nineveh? I'll live there. You want me to preach to pagans? I'll preach to them for the rest of my life. But instead he ran and took the hard route. And dear beloved, all the storms that you and I could avoid if we would simply reply to God's call on our life with a submissive, Yes, Lord. Ready and willing, Lord, here am I. What do you want me to do? I'm here. Use me for your kingdom and service. Take it from Jonah. Take it from Jonah that if you're running from God and His work, He will send a storm after you. God will always meet your rebellious flight with a hurling of His severe mercy because He loves you and He wants the best for you. Thanks for listening to the Faith 168 podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on whatever streaming platform you are using. If you have a prayer request or have a topic that you would like us to cover, message us on the Faith 168 podcast Facebook page and we will see you in 168 hours.